This is the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. And joining us once again is Mayor Rick Blangiardi. Mayor, how are you doing this week? Good. Good to be with you, Brandi. Good to have you back. And it was a busy week, especially in city council. I want to start with Bill 57 yes. that came up before the full council related to the public carry of firearms. So much of the opposition, even the conversation that went on, had to do with government overreach. What's your response? Well, I don't think it was government overreach at all. I mean, in fact, government is responsible for creating the laws, right? So last year, the Supreme Court ruled that it was legal to carry guns in public. Now, that triggered a whole lot of things. Uh, at the same time, the Supreme Court said that the counties could designate what they considered to be sensitive places. So we wanted to take a common sense approach to this at the same time recognizing that it was a Supreme Court ruling, want to uphold the Constitution, certainly want to be supportive of the Second Amendment, but what was good and what was right for Hawaii. Now we've had a culture for the last 170 years, there's not been a gun culture. In fact, before this ruling, you couldn't take guns in public places at all. But we've also had the distinguished good fortune, if you will, to really be uh, among cities that have been affected by gun violence to be the lowest. So we wanted to preserve that. So we went about it and said, very simply, we'll provide permits for those people who qualify. We went through the whole process of allowing people to apply. I believe the chief of police has given out some three dozen at this point, there's more pending, but people have to go through a process. But we've also designated the fact that we don't want to have guns in public places, such as schools and you know, government places, churches, parks. Um, but at the same time, we're also saying that people who have personal property, if they want to allow people in there with guns, they can do that. So it's a common sense approach. We're protecting what we've always had. We're being respectful of the Supreme Court ruling. We're even giving the caveat, if you will, that if people have personal property, they can have people come in with guns. But as far as where we're concerned, we want to protect the public. Public safety is our number one agenda, and that's the way the ruling went. We're talking about licensed law-abiding individuals who have constitutional rights who now say that something like this would take away their rights. I don't believe it takes away their rights at all. This is just we're asking to be respectful of public places. See, if you want to get a gun and you qualify to have it, there's other places that you can take it, and especially if you want to have it in your own home to protect your family, if that's what you think. I just, you know, quite honestly, I think about this, and I listen to some of the testimony, and it's almost sort of Rambo-like, you know? People want to be that person on the scene should something happen, as if they would be, by coincidence, in there to take out somebody. I, it's, not a, it's not a Hawaii that we've known, and it's certainly not a Hawaii that I want to project going forward. And all we're simply doing is saying, give me a reason why you think you should take a gun to church, or to a school, or to even a government, government building. And there's enough violence going on with guns to begin with everywhere. I'm just not a fan of making it that easy to happen here. Uh, sticking with council, a couple new confirmations this week to your cabinet. Um, pretty exciting news. I want to start off with Haku Millis, the Department of Design and Construction. Yeah, Haku Millis was our deputy director under a very, very fine director in Alex Kozlov. And, um, you know, he's been with the city for, for a number of years. He, he was our deputy. He was handpicked by Alex. Alex, unfortunately, had to leave us. He moved back to North Carolina. His wife was working at West Point, and he was here, and she was supposed to be signed. Her next assignment was supposed to be here in Hawaii. Instead, she got sent to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, so we lost Alex after a year. We left Haku in for six months to see if he could handle the job. It was a big job. 
and and he did, and he has, and he brought on a very good deputy in Brian Gallagher, another civil engineer with 15 years' experience over from the Board of Water Supply, and these two young men have convinced me that they're up to the speed. So I was very pleased to see Alex, uh, not Alex, I'm sorry, Haku, um, be approved by the city council with a nine-nothing vote. You know, and, I, and as I've told Haku and and uh, Brian, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but as I look at these men, they're young men, <laughs> that I, I like the idea of betting on youth in a really key department. And I know they enjoy the respect of the people that they work with because that was evidence when we first nominated them and the feedback that we got. So we're off to a good start. I'm very pleased, proud of Haku. He just became a new dad, and uh, he's got a lot going on for him. But he's a, he's a, he's a very hardworking, exactly what you want in the person running that department, a very caring, passionate, knowledgeable person in charge of design and construction. Uh, and the other one that was up for confirmation this week, Don Takeuchi Okuna, with arguably one of the most difficult director positions in the city. Um, yeah. I think it is the most difficult, you know, and I don't try yeah. to I don't try to sort them out that way, but clearly, you know, DPP is um, so critical uh, on in so many levels. Uh, with respect to how the city functions, not only financially, but the peace and harmony within the city and so on and so forth and all the things that DPP stands for. Um, and so, you know, Dawn stepped in as a result of a different kind of a leadership change. We, she was a deputy with us. We made a change because we felt we weren't in the right direction, both philosophically and operationally. And in just six months' time, um, she's done a wonderful job. And I also held off with her because she's a, a mother of three and you know with a lot of responsibility alone in that category and when she when this came about she stepped in on the interim I wasn't so sure she could handle it at the time because it's a lot of pressure and all the other personal responsibilities she proved that she could she really wanted this job and so we um, we, we put her up and sure enough again she was approved nine to zero I think she's shown in just six months you know, she has a tremendous background. She has an undergraduate degree from UCLA in, in urban planning. She has a master's degree from UCLA in urban planning. And then she went to law school at Hastings, which is a really reputable and very, very fine law school and got her law degree. She brings a lot of knowledge and experience, but more than anything, we had the benefit of Dawn being inside for 18 months. We didn't have to bring her from the outside. So she had, on a firsthand basis, if you will, a really good look at the problem she was inheriting. And that goes back to our management practices here about understanding problems before you can really offer the solutions. So while this is not gonna be an easy road ahead, it's complex, there's a lot of dynamics to it, we've got the right person in the job and she's already made tremendous strides in the first six months. I'd imagine as the mayor, this one was pretty hard where it's another week, another one of our police officers is in critical condition. Yes, yeah, we've had two officers, Officer Newton and Officer, Officer Gassman. Uh, both of which um, ended up in the uh, trauma ward, ICU trauma ward at Queens. And I've had the opportunity to visit with both men. Now, the good news is Officer Newton has been released, and he's now at home recovering. Officer Gassman is still in the hospital. I visited with him. He and his wife talked to him about his concerns, which really, first and foremost, go to his family. He has four young children, mm -hmm. uh, but also his own career and, and what's, gonna, what's ahead. So he's you know sitting there as a young man with all this responsibility, suddenly the victim of a really traumatic accident, which nobody anticipates happening in their life. But yet, that's the very essence of what our first responders do. They live on the edge like that. And that could be true of our fire department. It's certainly true of our ocean safety. In fact, 
just today we were out acknowledging a promotion of four. In fact, for the first time, we've had a woman promoted to lieutenant oh, wow. in ocean safety after 106 right. years. Mm -hmm. But if you stop and you think about what they do, in a moment's notice, they will go out putting their life at risk to rescue a stranger that they don't even know. If you stop and think, people... People don't do that. I mean, if, in, in reality, people say risk their life for somebody they don't even know. Yet that's the essence of what they do in their jobs, and that's true. So I have, I have great respect for the bravery and the courage, and, and that's why when you see somebody hurt like an officer Newton or an officer Gasman like this, and you can see by visiting them in the hospital, you can just tell in their faces the, almost the bewilderment, and not to mention what they're going through in their own physical recovery. It's um, you have nothing but the ultimate respect for, for what they're willing to subject themselves to. You mentioned the first female ocean yeah. safety lieutenant promoted. Yeah. Um, while that is unfortunate that we're saying that now in 2023, the first female, yeah. um, that is, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> I, look, I understand that. That was actually said at the ceremony because there are other, other women who are obviously part of the lifeguard force that have, but they've not gotten up through the official promotion of lieutenant. They've had other responsible leadership roles as I understand it. I don't know all. But the fact that we're finally getting that done and it's happening, I feel really good about it. And, uh, and I spoke with her, and uh, she's, uh, you could just tell, she's, she's one tough lady. <laughs> I want to get to another question submitted by a member of the public. This one comes from an anonymous city employee. And this person says, I love working for the city. This has been the best job I have had. I have an amazing team and supervisors. The work is genuinely meaningful. However, despite all this, I'm heavily considered leaving my position. This largely comes down to one simple fact. While I feel valued by my immediate colleagues, I do not feel valued by the city government as a whole. Low pay, poor recruitment, high turnover rate, and consistent mismanagement have crushed the morale in my department. We're hemorrhaging good people and we're unable to hire new ones. It seems less like the administration wants to genuinely fix the systemic issues within my department and more like it just wants to give it a fresh coat of paint and say the problem is solved. His, his or her, not sure whose question this is, uh, what is your administration doing to make its employees, particularly the newer and younger ones, want to stay in city employment? Well, first of all, it breaks my heart to hear that because you know, I'm assuming this is a really good employee and that they feel that way. That's exactly what we don't want to have. We don't want to have people to be brought to that place feeling like, well, nobody really cares because this place drives itself on the caring and professionalism and the pride people have in working in their home, if you will, to improve the city and county. But I disagree with the comment, our administration doesn't care. And I don't know this particular department, but since we've come in, we've made staffing a priority. We've talked openly about it. It was never anything that was talked about in the campaign. In fact, I went through a lot of transitional discussions and nobody ever talked about that. Bottom line is though, we are somewhat compromised in the compensation arena because all of those business units get negotiated at the state level. You know, and then and then we're left to to the respective units here follow that but we have we have made staffing priority in the regard with regards to understanding our shortages looking at our recruiting efforts looking at our training and development efforts the money we're putting into that looking at our succession planning looking at cutting down uh the layers of bureaucracy that actually when we did the diagnostics proved that it took six months to get hired by the city a totally unacceptable metric if you will 
Um, and then beyond that, quite honestly, I'm really proud of our leadership team. And part of what we're looking at across the board is the tone that they set culturally. So, again, I don't know which department, but that's part of the challenge that we've made to all of our cabinet members and their leadership teams and the people who are directly under them is to make this a great place to work. So we're not looking to whitewash anything. What we're trying to do is systemically deal with a decades-old problem where, ironically enough, people, the very essence of what the city and county services are all about, haven't been the priority they should be in a 10,000-plus person enterprise. Uh, there's a second part of that question. So what are you doing exactly to make the people that run this city able to exist comfortably within it? Well, I'm not sure I understand that question. It exists comfortably within it. I mean, we're looking at doing a lot of things right now. We're looking at, um, well, in fact, I can tell you, we've already approved whether it's four 10-hour weeks, these are you know, work-hour shifts, three 12-hour weeks in certain departments. We're kind of doing a beta test with some of the departments there. Uh, I'm trying to um, deal with, again, providing senior leadership. I think leadership has so much to do with it, and right now I feel very good about our cabinet. And then the trickle-down effect of having that people who are responsible paying attention to that. You know, there's, there's a lot to overcome in this area where I think there is a lot of inherent pride in the city, uh, but maybe employees haven't necessarily been made to feel as valued as they really are, and we're trying to get that done. Look, we just really started. To be very honest with you, coming in here during the pandemic and COVID for 15 months, we still even had a lot of people out of work. Mm -hmm. And everything else, all of us were dealing with and just trying to survive COVID, not the least of which was trying to take over city operations and execute and whatever. But, we, you know, we have glaring, glaring, uh, our top five departments have more than 2,000 vacancies. We have 3,000 overall in the city, but if I look at departments, and I'm not even counting the police department, which is down over 300 offices. I'm talking about facilities and maintenance, you know, and DPP and, and uh, ENV and the engineering, the DDC, design and construction. These are major labor-intensive departments requiring people with high skill sets. We're focused on that. We've provided good leadership. We've put money into the budgets. We're not taking money out. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that we got done in the fiscal 23-year budget was we were able to put in a lot of money, $59 million for salaries last year to hire mm -hmm. people. And so I don't know how else I can say it. It's good leadership. It's hiring people, providing them with the tools and the resources. We are investing in technology. The city was way behind in technology. I mean, these are all things. I wish I had a magic wand. I don't. But we're, but we're looking at it going, that's a legitimate complaint. That's a legitimate beef. And, and what are we doing about it? And then the other part of it is that if I had my way, the, you know, in part of changing a culture is those people who are responsible positions who should be making people feel the opposite of what this person is expressing, deal with them accordingly. I just don't know who they are on our radar screen, but I've asked all of our leaders that uh, if you have people who you think are in responsible positions who are toxic to the work environment, let's deal with it. Mayor, something that's pretty top of mind is the recent tragedy of the McKinley student mm -hmm. that died in that hit and run. What do you think we can do as a city or, you know, your well, ask you know, for this community? Look, we have 8,000 streets. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got a population of over a million one on this island, not to mention at any one time how many tourists are here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and tourists are very scary drivers in many cases because they don't know where they're right. going. And right. we've, all, we've all been behind them. And you can see them trying to read a map while they're driving and so on. But that's an occasion for a lot of ask accidents. And we've had a lot of vehicular and pedestrian accidents on our streets 
historically. I mean, we have had one of the, I talked earlier about one of the best crime rates as far as gun violence in the country. We've had one of the highest rates of pedestrian accidents mm -hmm. in the country here. Um, so this was a really unfortunate situation on Kapilani Boulevard. And so we're gonna take a look. Uh, we're working with the state and, and whether or not we can put those speed bumps in, get some signage up about people, because it is a school zone, there's no signage there to try to help with that. Uh, we'll try to do some enforcement, but the fact of the matter is this particular driver who killed this young lady had 167 uh, uh, citations, I guess, or between tickets, and I think he had been arrested a bunch. I mean, this was somebody who shouldn't be on the road. And so, you know, when you have a circumstance like that, and then they do something like that, worse yet, exacerbated by a hit-and-run situation initially before they turn themselves in, that's just one of those unfortunate, you can't, I mean, we, we can't put speed bumps on every single street. Um, and, and there's even gonna be some challenges to getting it done on Capilani Boulevard, but we think we can get them put in in a way that gets people to slow down in the school zone, still be able to go the speed, not unlike the poly. They went up in the poly, done a lot of research, they're actually working, and you can still, and the speed limit up there is 35 miles an hour in that section, you can still drive 35 miles an hour. It's gonna have to be an adjustment, because as we know, Capilani Boulevard has not had that, but I've always thought that the crosswalk and the bus stop and everything was all in the wrong together, um, and so we're gonna try to address that. And it's just unfortunate that a young person had to be killed to do that, but, but before you blame it on the streets, you gotta blame it on the driver in this particular case. We had a really, an egregious situation of somebody who should not have been driving a car, and maybe would have done it anyway, because without a license or whatever, but, but, so when that happens, I mean, you just have to look at, at the situation and try to respond accordingly. And I think we're gonna do the right thing by Kapilani Boulevard. I wanna get to another question sent in. This one is from Ross. He says, oftentimes our west side communities farthest from Honolulu, like Waianae and Nanakuli, are easily forgotten. He has a business that adjoins a road. He has the tax map key here. But he says the road is in extremely bad repair and it's a hub for criminal activity. His question is, what are we doing to ensure that rural communities like Y and I get the same respect and opportunities as, for example, Chinatown? Yeah, well, look, uh, I mean, Chinatown was a hot spot for us. So I don't want to compare Y and I with Chinatown, but Y and I has its own issues and we're trying to be very sensitive to the west side. Uh, we're beginning a series of town hall meetings, which are going to start in March. Uh, we're going to purposely purposely start out on the west side uh, and, and we will be out there. Look, I, 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 can't, I, don't, I can't visualize this street, but I can say this, and I just alluded to the fact we have 8,000 streets in Honolulu. If all we did was fix roads and streets, it, 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 that would be, you know, that could be our total endeavor. That, I mean, that's how much is needed to do that. So I'm sorry that street is there. There are schedules for different places. We'll look at them. Assuming this is a city-owned street, not a state street, a state, you know, ro roadway. Um, and we'll try to find out what the schedule is. If I had his address, it would be great. We could go out and take a look at that. But we are in, um, and we're, we're putting a lot more money into the budget for, for fixing roads. I've met with the operating engineers uh, who do a lot of the asphalt because the city does the big stuff and they do a lot of the fixing, the, the surface level stuff. Um, and we'll try to get it handled. But I, I, I think it's gonna be ongoing. It was ongoing for the prior mayors. I've, I've gone back and read and listened to what they've done, especially my predecessor. He was really fixated on that and I give him a lot of credit for what they did deal, do, deal with. But this is just ongoing. And, and, but we've not forgotten the west side. I can promise you that. In fact, there's a lot of things we've been doing on the North Shore and on the West Side 
uh, that I think have been very, very positive. We're going to keep that up. And that's why we're going out in these town meetings to listen to people, take it on firsthand and see what we can do to address. Yeah, Ross did send us his tax map key, so I can give that Great. to you offline. Give me, give me but you know what? Key. His his question was a two-parter. He also asks, um, he knows that many members of the public like to complain to the city. He wants to know, there are numerous ways to tell the city about problems, but is there a team or person that citizens can contact to propose solutions to the problems rather than just report them? That's a, you know what? We <laughs> should explore that. Yeah. You know, I mean, because, uh, look, I do a weekly radio show in part to try to, learn about two or three problems. It's not like it saves the earth, but honestly, those two or three problems every week that we get, we try to address them. We're doing other things in outreach. I mean, we've put uh, our, all of our department heads, all of our cabinet members go to the neighborhood board meetings. I think we've really reinvigorated the neighborhood board meetings. And as I just said a moment ago, we're gonna begin these town hall meetings with our cabinet, going out there to listen, to learn. We're trying to get in touch. This is a big island and we're a big city and county. And, but we haven't forgotten anybody. There's just a lot to get done. This next question was sent in by Nancy. She says, we live out in Ko'olina by the Campbell facility. When the emergency sirens are tested, we do not hear the sirens unless our windows are open and it's very faint. Is there any chance of getting more sirens in that area? Wow, that's a good question. I think that's a state call. We'll look into that. I mean, that's the best I can tell you. We, you know, that's important. And it's great that she's pointing that out. Uh, this one is from Joan. She says, can the city designate a few acres of land to help the homeless find funding to build small prefabricated dwellings and offer training and support for a homeless community development? You know, there's a lot of different things we're going to approach the homeless with. I think our first primary goal, uh, because I don't want to confuse everybody that when we start talking about the homeless population, we have a very heavy percentage of people who have not only been on the street for a long time, but are mentally ill or addicted to drugs or alcohol are going to want to go into a shelter of that mm -hmm. kind. What we need to do is be able to be able to deal with it from a medical and psychological standpoint. And just today I was talking to Dr. Jim Ireland, and there's some, that's one of the things we're trying to work with the state. And I've talked about this openly in this collaboration is to get beds and places we can put people. Mm -hmm. If you look at a Punawai dress, uh, rest stop, that's the same sign of thing. Uh, and then as far as people just needing housing, who are down in their luck, who are not, that we actually right now, not only with IHS, but other homeless service providers can take care of those people, both temporarily in shelters and move into more permanent housing. Um, we're pretty good at that. I think the notion that we could, you know, find a couple of acres of land, put some place out there and people would just go to, we already know, that it works when it's supervised. We've got a great situation on Sand Island right now that's, that's going on, and there's different communities, and it's one of the things that Governor Green's talked a lot about, and I'm not uh, against it all. We want to work in cooperation to create communities for people who want to live and can and, and even hold down jobs, but it's, it's, it, it, there's a lot of layers to this, okay? When it comes to charities and helping out our neighbors in need, it's hard to find someone with a bigger heart than Carol Kai. Wow. You recently got to honor her. Yeah, we did. You know, thank you for bringing that up. I mean, um, I've known Carol since I was a young guy, and I've watched her entire career now, over nearly the 50 years of, of, of the philanthropy, if you will, that she is, you know, going back to just when she was a pure entertainer through the bed races and then the whole thing 39 years ago with the Great Aloha Run, but all the other work that she's done, you know, in, in television and helping young people and, you know, the, um, um, 
What's the name of the show she had on? Hawaii Stars. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Do, Hawaii do, Stars. Do. Yes, I know. You know the jingle. Were you on Hawaii Stars? I was not. You, you should have been. I think I was a little young yeah. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, but I mean, all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, we so we wanted to recognize somebody who has had a very big heart, who's been a philanthropist in this community, who's made good things happen. I mean, everything and anything that Carol's been around has always been one of those kind of good things. You know, we used to say, you know, KGMB for many years had that logo, one of the good things mm -hmm. about Hawaii. That certainly was Carol Kai. And so it was a fun opportunity to not only give her a proclamation to, to recognize that in this key to the city, but it just so happened last Friday was a rainy day. And so the Royal Hawaiian Band, which has not played in this building since 2012, decided to have a concert which was scheduled for outside inside the building and uh, also brought with it a crowd of people which were all seated. And so we were supposed to do this privately up in my office, but as it turned out, it was really a serendipity. We could go downstairs in front of a live audience with the band playing and really make it very special for Carol. It, it was thrilling for me to do. And then we were there on Monday at the running of the uh, Great Aloha Run, and I had a chance to say some nice words about it then, too. I'm surprised you can still hear. When you launch that cannon, <laughs> that could be heard, I think, from Aloha Stadium. Yeah, I, I was, you know, the funny thing is I was holding a microphone in one hand and I had my, my other hand on the, the cord to pull the thing. And the guy said, make sure you put a finger in your ear when you, I had, well, I had nothing. So I pulled it and I was surprised that this little cannon could make that kind of noise. Yeah, so I took it full blast, as they say. But thousands of local people got to finally take part in that road race that for so long was virtual. They Pretty did. Awesome. I think we had like 12,000, I think, signed up. And I'm not sure if they counted the military or not, of which we had about 1,500. All I know is uh, that's one of those kind of nice, joyous things. Everybody, I mean, we watched everybody run by us and walk by us as well at the starting line you know, and just to get the race on the way. And then we drove out to the finish line. And, you know, I, as I was watching the people, it was the one thing that was, uh, I mean, nobody had their game face on. You know what I mean? Everybody was, like, in a happy mood. It wasn't, like, maybe the first guys up front that tried to go out there and break a world record. They run. I watched them come in, by the way, when we got out there. They're pretty serious people. But everybody else was out there to have a good time and be with their friends. And some people came in costumes and other people pretty lighthearted. It's just, uh, look, we're trying to build back joy in, in, in our community, and that, that's a good event. Uh, this next question was sent in by a baseball coach, Ikaika. He asks if you can check with the workers in Pearl City and ask them why they don't keep our park grass down. He coaches youth 8 to 10 years old baseball, and the grass gets cut maybe every two months. Wow. So he says the grass is literally up to the kids' knees. That's not right. Yep, he buys their balls, and he says they lose their balls every day in the long grass. He ends his question with, please help us out, Mayor, yeah, exclamation mark. What's the park? Do we know? Um, he just says he coaches in Pearl City. Okay. So we can, we can check we on that district. Check with him. I will get on. We'll take care of that. that that's not right. I mean, <laughs> it's one thing if they had, like, you know, a river or something the kids were hitting the ball into. But how can you lose? shouldn't be losing baseballs in high grass, you know? That's not right. Yeah. And Mayor, you're heading out of town this week. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your upcoming trip? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to go up to L.A. to meet with a bunch of producers. And uh, I want to really give a lot of credit to our film commission, which has been led by Valeria uh, Constantino for a long time. We've known her for my former life uh, back in TV. But, you know, I really want to give her that support. She does a lot of work. We do a lot of productions behind the scenes. But this is an opportunity now to meet with Disney, to meet with Amazon, certainly to meet with NBC because they're here doing Magnum PI and CBS with NCIS Hawaii. But she's had a whole slate of uh, top-level producers for us to meet with. And I think part of the idea here is to, you know, 
We want to be user-friendly. I want to give them the assurances that the city will help facilitate their efforts when they're here, whatever that means and whatever they have. And I think, you know, people go where they're invited. And I, I've said all along on building on our existing businesses, of which we have an existing business in, with film and production, and uh, that given how fertile that is as a business opportunity, I want to cultivate it as much as possible in the spirit of doing everything we can to regain our economic recovery. This is a really good opportunity for us. And that dovetails into Bill 45 and what we're trying to get done. And, uh, it looks like the site is on the West Ohio campus, some 17 acres. And because it involves a state property, there's a lot going on with the ledge and the university. But that's where they want to do it. And this is really is tied into a company called Hackman Studios. They, they control and run over 500 studios globally. I've met with them already uh, more than once. Uh, they're very eager to come here and make a significant investment because they see the benefit of having, having sound stages here in Hawaii. They've been held back because of our facility, which is at Diamond Head, which has served us well through the years of Magnum and uh, certainly 5.0, but it's too limited. But the other part of that is the economy, the economics today of, build, of content, the jobs that it creates, the opportunities for our young people here. In fact, they're even talking about the possibility of building dorms on the West Wild campus, which everybody thinks right now is a community college because of the ability to maybe have some of our kids from the neighbor islands come over to get that skill. They could stay there and certainly attracting even some of the mainland students, which would be a whole different dynamic for that campus. So uh, their plans are, I think they, they've got to tentatively call the Aloha Studios. It's very bold. It's very big. It's certainly unprecedented, but it's a very clean business that could really augment, if you will, everything that we're trying to do. And, and, and trying to create business stimulus. So all of this, uh, in dealing with Hollywood, all the people from Hackman Studios, uh, I think is just a segment of our local economy that we can add greatly to, not just in the short term, but especially for the long term. But what does that mean numbers wise? You know, for someone like me who isn't necessarily looking for maybe a job in movies or right. trying to work at that Hawaii studio, yep. um, what does that mean for the rest of us? Well, I think, first of all, these are high-paying jobs. You know, people here, you know, we had a really good program out at uh, Waianae High School, Sea Rider Productions. So many of those young people went on. They went to school in Los Angeles. And where the jobs were, were in Los Angeles, they could have come back home, would have liked to have come back home, but there really wasn't much to come back to. So these are high-paying jobs that um, in and around this kind of content production. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you specifically, we have to go a little bit further down the road, but let me give you a perspective. Right now, Jason Momoa is doing a series about Hawaii uh, in New Zealand. They did some of the shooting here, but they can't do the soundstage work here. Um, that uh, is Game of Thrones money, which is more than $10 million an episode. Mm -hmm. The ramifications of that and what that represents for the people who get to work on that is significant. So I can't tell you they're all six-figure jobs, but we're talking about jobs that pay in that range and better. Uh, and so, you know, anything like that that's, that provides career opportunities that helps also Hawaii, because look, in this day and age of global content uh, distribution, we want to have Hawaii shown as many parts of the world as we possibly can. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. So. I think that's what it is. It's just taking something. And also, the tremendous enhancement to our West Oahu campus. They already have developed a very good production facility out there. In fact, the University of Hawaii at Manoa pales in comparison to what Chris Lee has done out there. But we need to augment it with sound stages and be able to track productions here that are of, of, of global um, 
they're, they, they, let's put it this way, it's capable of global syndication and shooting right here in Hawaii. All right, Mayor, this is the One Oahu podcast. So for one final thought. Wow, down to one final thought. Well, you know, we've talked about employee morale today, and, and I wish it were better because at the same time, I just want to say I'm so really proud and confident of our team. In the two years and two months since I've been in office now, I think my confidence level has been buoyed about what we can get done. You know, at first things felt a bit overwhelming and I anticipated that coming into a role like this for the first time, plus we got sworn in during the pandemic. And I found out very quickly how steep the learning curve was. I wouldn't even call it a curve, how steep the learning mm-hmm. process was and still is to this day. But the one thing I learned right away, and I, I kind of knew it, but it really hit me in the face coming in, you can't do this job alone. You very much need your team of people around you. And so I feel really good about our leadership team. You know, we're trying to make up for a lot of the sins of the past, if you will, and things that could have been done, should have been done, didn't get done. Not by pointing fingers at anybody, but you start to talk about age-old problems. I mean, they are that, precisely that, and that's real. And so, you know, we've chosen not to look the other way. And there's a price to be paid for taking on the hard stuff. And all of us want to do it tomorrow. We know that can't happen, uh, but we are focused on that. We're committed. So hopefully, as time goes on, We'll, we'll get a different kind of a letter about how people feel. And I actually liked with the one person you read to me because they like their colleagues around them. Mm-hmm. We just got to show them from a senior management and leadership standpoint that it goes all the way up, up there as well. Well, Mayor, thank you. I know your time is valuable. No, I really enjoy it, Brandy. Thank you for, uh, thank you for uh, the questions, and I'm, I'm hoping that anybody listening to this um, is finding it worthwhile. Uh, I can promise you this. We are really uh, committed really committed to making great things happen for the city. Mayor, thank you. And if you have a question for Mayor Blangiardi or any of the departments here in the city and county of Honolulu, you can submit your questions to oneoahu.org slash podcast. And last time with Mayor Rick Blangiardi, we did talk about our town halls. Our upcoming town halls are all posted with locations, dates, and times on oneoahu.org slash town hall. And join us next week as we're joined by the Department of Transportation Services rail our effort to modernize our city as it relates to transportation electrification of our bus fleet and so much more that's next time right here on the one oahu podcast until next time aloha